Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. Today's show is proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network and the Canis Hoopers family. I'm coming to you live after the Timberwolves went full Timberwolves and got blown out by the Houston Rockets in the second game of a back-to-back against the Houston Rockets both times. As you probably know, they came back from 19 down in the first game and won the game, which was surprising enough, and then... Probably less surprising, uh, they they came into tonight, waltzed into tonight, and got played off their home court by the Rockets. So we're not going to discuss much about that because I think it'd be psychotic if you were tuning in to listen to us talk about that game. But we are going to talk about the trade deadline, obviously, that passed this week. I was going to do the midweek podcast. I was waiting to do a podcast about something that happened on the tra- at the trade deadline, but obviously nothing happened. The, the Timberwolves put the dead in deadline. And so we're going to just discuss what that means for the team. Joining me to do all that is Tanner Super's contributor, friend of the show, Jack Borman. What's going on, Jack? Oh, you know, just trying to survive another, another, another tough one tonight. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like, like I tweeted this out that I think that this is the 30th time I've thought this is the worst loss of the season. It, it seems like they, they continually outdo themselves in terms of worst loss of the year. So tonight, I think, definitely sits atop that depressing summit. But I was going to um, say, you've tweeted that or said that like 12, like 15 times. <laughs> I, every time I do it, I think it's the last time. You do I'm it like four it. minutes into the game, too. You're like, this is already the worst <laughs> loss of the year. I never get proven wrong though except last night I think I might have tweeted something last night about them losing and they came back to win so sometimes I go for the reverse Twitter jinx you know and (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to make myself look like an idiot if they come back to win um let's let's talk trade deadline I want to get your thoughts uh obviously we'll just start with with what were your thoughts on on such a quiet deadline not one move made by the team so so what were your thoughts when the when the deadline passed and nothing had happened uh, I was really surprised um, because you know I just thought that at the very least they'd try and move Ed Davis and Wancho to try and get like a second round pick or something like that just to get off of money um, you know, in case they wanted to get into something as a third team and try and take back a necessary salary um, and stay under the luxury tax. I thought they'd for sure try and at least do something like that. Um, But that didn't happen. I mean, I know that Tim Rolf's PR had a news conference scheduled for that night. And based (laughs) on that, I just had assumed that that they were going to do something. Um, but, But I was also really surprised that they didn't try and go out and get any other shooters on the margins. Like, I really thought that um, you know, a name that I was mentioning a lot, ironically, a couple of weeks ago was, um, and last week was Ben McLemore, who is yeah. just completely 
you know, twisted the wolves um, the last <laughs> couple nights. Um, but, but yeah, I thought that, you know, someone like that that's on an expiring contract that you can just throw into the mix and just say, go out and shoot. I mean, your game's not going to be all that much different. Um, you're just going to be tasked with, with going out and just shooting the hell out of the ball. Or as Ant says, shoot the piss out the ball or piss off the ball, whatever he said about Wancho. Um, yeah, so I was. those were my, my two ba- biggest things. that I, I thought they were going to try and get off of a little bit of money so they could get in as a third team. And then um, I, I thought they'd try and trade Jarrett Culver, um, but I guess, you know, they're probably trying to wait and do that, um, trying to wait and do that during the draft. Yeah, I, I think it was surprising. And at least, I guess it, it's it's like... Maybe there just wasn't any value for this, you know, for the, for the guys on this team that that we thought you could at least get off for a second round pick. I mean, obviously, it's it's we see every contract get moved in the league. Like we saw John Wall get moved, Russell Westbrook get moved. You know, guys on huge contracts who aren't in rotations get moved all the time. But it just seems like like this front office is so aggressive in trying to make trades that it was just really surprising that they couldn't at least get something going around the margins and I guess the 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 excuse was that they haven't seen this team enough but I also think that they have seen they have seen the guys who aren't very good I was gonna say and, you've and definitely enough. seen enough of the guys that don't fit in and that's yeah. definitely Jared Culver I mean Wancho was excellent last night in the first half of the back-to-back and wasn't um, too bad again tonight honestly compared you know the whole team wasn't very good but I don't think he was one of the standout performers yeah so that, I mean know. I guess I can understand why they why they kept Wancho around I mean he's definitely still not worth his contract but yeah. um to play the backup you know backup minutes but you know I, if if he can shoot closer to like 37 38% or like north of 35 really is anything I'd take <laughs> yeah. um, and battle on the glass and like, sure, whatever, keep him around as a guy that's like sometimes in the game, in the rotation, sometimes out of it. Um, but yeah, you know, I thought Rosas's comments afterwards were really interesting that, um, you know, he kind of acknowledged some of his own personal shortcomings in that um, he was really <laughs> candid and blunt about his thoughts on Ricky Rubio and especially Ricky Rubio's, you know, rather poor fit with D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and Anthony Edwards on the floor. Um, and, uh, and, you know, he was also talking that, you know, Jaden McDaniels, they're not pigeonholing him into the three or the four, which I think is a great thing because, you know, he, he also noted that the two bigs is kind of making a resurgence in the NBA because there's more of these big bodied dudes that can, that can shoot it from the outside. Like, you know, chief among them is a guy like Dario Sarch. Uh, in, in Phoenix, who's been outstanding this year. Um, so so I think it was good that, that he acknowledged that. And I really think the Timberwolves need to get bigger. Um, yeah. Timberwolves are an extremely small team, both, you know, in terms of height and in girth. Um, and and that's, a, that's been a problem for them. Like, they just, guys go straight through them on the drive, inside. They, they have no fight whatsoever on, on the glass. Uh, I think we saw that especially tonight. Um and there's just little margin things that I think can help you feel better about the team moving forward that don't really affect the continuity of the team whatsoever. Um, like trading a Jarrett Culver to try and get a bigger body that can rebound and, def- and defend inside or just somebody who's a better shooter. Um, like I would have loved to try and see, you know, trade Jarrett, try and tr- offer Jarrett Culver for like Trey Lyles or someone like that who was, um, who I, I did Trey Lyles get traded? Maybe he got traded to like Dallas or something like that. Uh, I, I wait out because it's, 
overnight here, the, the trade deadline, the last few hours, yeah. I wake up with 70 notifications and I, I'm just <laughs> trying to go through these Bleacher Report notifications and figure out the, the bigger names. But those ones on the margins, you know, they're hard to keep up with, especially on a, on a trade deadline like tonight, where uh, like this year's where it all seemed to happen within a few hours and there wasn't really anything leading up to that as they waited for the, the Lowry and the Gordon kind of dominoes to fall. But it's it just seems like this roster... Even with the talented, there's talented players on this roster, but none of the roster construction really makes sense in terms of like position wise. And it's just like they need, I think they need to be a consolidation trade somewhere. Like if you weren't going to be buyers, which makes sense as, you know, for such a bad team, but like there needs to be something where you can just consolidate some of the roster and get some guys opening roster spots and minutes in different places where it's just like there's so many guards there's no like you said there's no guards with any size Malik Beasley or Anthony Edwards have to play the three and both of them really aren't a small forward uh, Jaden McDaniels you know is we don't know whether he's a four or a three but he's he's just like a, a tweener there's Wancho who's not really I think, a four either like it's I, I mean I it, think Wancho's a four um, I, I feel pretty strongly about that that he's a four I mean he's a little short for a four, but he's a four. Yeah, um, but that's because he can't play any other position. It's not like they just don't have enough guys who can star in that role. And like, there's you feel like you can package a few guys together to at least get someone who fits better, like a Trey Lyles, like who fits better than Jake Lehman or who fits better than and, Jarrett and Culver. That, and that was my entire point. I, I think like trading Jake Lehman or Jarrett Culver or Wancho isn't going to fuck up the continuity of the team. It's yeah. really just going to like help you like clean up you know shitty stuff that can take guys out of the flow of the game um and it i mean and it's really small but it like little things really matter like tonight the timberwolves just got killed on the offensive glass like like Kenyon martin jr and um jay sean tate Tate, and and uh dj wilson i mean we're even against cat like Cat just wasn't being physical. He was just jumping instead of getting a body on someone. Um, and, I, you know, I, I just thought it was odd that he he said he values continuity. Like, I get the like I get the continuity point if you're talking about not trading Malik Beasley, um, which is a whole different thing. I, I mean, I think not trading Malik Beasley was a huge mistake personally. Um, and because... we're agreed. We're agreed on that. We might we're in the very much in the minority on that, but we we definitely agree with that on that. Yeah, I mean, with Malik, I just think that some of the stuff he's done off the floor uh, is so questionable. I mean, and even since he's been put on probation, I mean that tweet that he put out the other night was just <laughs> an outrageous look. Like I think that you know, I wonder if his value is already so low in the eyes of other executives because of his off the court issues, um, that the Timberwolves just didn't feel like they could get enough value for him and and felt like they had to move him. But I mean, I thought it was ridiculous. The Timberwolves didn't take that, you know, Beasley in a first for Collins deal. Um, I would have done that in a heartbeat. Uh, without it must have, it must have it. been an unprotected first. That's the only thing I can think of that they would say. Oh, no. I, I wouldn't have cared about that because if it's lottery, I mean, it, the whole point of trying to get John Collins is so you can get into the playoffs. Yeah, and I, I would think that like even if it was a lottery, I mean, a lottery protected first to me in 2024 should be that should treat you should treat it the same way as if you treat an unprotected pick. 
Yeah. Because especially I mean, if you get in a guy who you think makes you play in the playoffs for the next four years. Yeah, exactly. Like that that's why I think it's so dumb. And and teams are like, oh well, first round picks, like you gotta keep all your first round picks. Like if you have guys that are 23, 24, 25, and they have three, four, five years left on their deal, who gives a shit about a first round pick three years from now if you're gonna be battling for the playoffs? Yeah. Like if you can still go out there and get second round picks and still have guys like Jane McDaniels and Nas Reed on these super bargain contracts playing significant minutes on your team, you should have no issues trying to find guys that are like four or five, six million dollars to pay that you can play off the bench. Um, yeah. Like a first round pick is not going to make or break your future, but keeping Malik Beasley instead of trying to go get a guy like John Collins really could. Um, yeah, and who knows? I mean, hopefully Malik can continue to grow his offensive game, but I, I and I I'm not sugarcoating this and I'm not this is not hyperbole. Like I, I legitimately think Malik Beasley is one of the worst defenders in the NBA. I, he's by far the worst defender on the Timberwolves, in my opinion. The um, problem is that they that I think that Minnesota have multiple players that are on any given night could be the worst defender in the NBA. Like that just doesn't work <laughs> like, like anthony Wancho, yeah i mean yeah like anthony edwards tonight was one of the worst defensive performances i've ever seen like on yeah cont- containing dribble drives like the amount of times he goes for that round the back steal instead of trying to stay in front of someone is just the worst uh, the worst thing that happened to him was him finding success doing that especially in the yeah. phoenix game the phoenix win yeah. he had like three or four steals doing that and now he thinks he can just do that all the time and he can't and the thing is, is he's such an explosive athlete, even moving laterally, that he should have no issue whatsoever being able to move laterally. Like Malik has athletic limitations. So the fact that he can't move laterally and like get his chest in front of guys, like whatever, it is what it is. Can he still be better? Of course he can. But the, I understand the, the ceiling there. But with Anthony Edwards, like we've seen flashes of him just locking dudes up in isolation. Um and I thought it was interesting. I don't remember if it was Dane or, or Jace or, um, or Britt Robson that asked Ant, um, you know, uh, probably a month or two ago about how he thinks he plays on defense. And he said, oh, I think I'm, I'm like a pretty good defender because in he, and he cited the way that he defended in isolation when in reality, like most of the times you're defending, it's not in isolation and it's in like pick and roll or some type of other action. And he just was like very defensive and combative about that, um, which I think says a lot about like where his head's at defensively. Like, you know, I really would hope that David Vanterpool would be able to get through to him, or that Ant would be more receptive to what you know Vanterpool's saying. But uh, well, more you know, receptive to being put on the bench for the for the final stretches of games and watching the team play better without him, and he's not on the bench. Because he can't score. Like, obviously, the shot selection and stuff is a problem. But, like, if if he could play, if he was defending well, he would stay on the court, even with his offensive, even in games where right. he's struggling offensively. Like, he has to have some pride when he's watching his team go on a 22-0 run while he sits on the bench on a bike, you know, keeping his legs warm. Like, that's, <laughs> that's you know, and I just, I was, that's disappointed me the most, I think, is that tonight, after watching that, he came out and just, it was just an insipid defensive performance from him. And then he put 20 on the Rockets in the last quarter, you know, in garbage time. And, and, you know, I hope that he doesn't go into the locker room feeling good that that's, you know, that he had an efficient shooting night on the, on the stat sheet and then he scored 27 points because he was one of the main reasons why they lost so terribly tonight. 
yeah, I think that kind of leads me to my last point about Ant, and then we can move on. Um, it's just that his mindset changes so much in garbage time, thinking that, oh, I'm just so much better than all these dudes, I can just get right to the rim without any issues. But the thing is, is like he's so much more explosive and athletic than anybody that's going to guard him anyways. So there's no reason for him to not have that attitude during the game. Like you saw him have that attitude against Phoenix, who's one of the, you know, six, seven best defensive teams in the league. And he had 40. And I mean, tonight he had probably had like 17 points or 18 points in the fourth quarter alone just from doing that. Like, sure, it's against crappier players, yada, 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 whatever. But like, if you go back and watch the first three quarters of that game, that was the most passive game I've seen from Anthony Edwards. I mean, if anybody laid a finger on him, he just quit. He he backed it out. He just kind of dicked around with the ball. Was, you know, like you, you could say he was like probing or trying to figure out what to do. But, I mean, it was just useless dribbling and standing around. Uh, a lot of settling for unnecessary jump shots. Um, and that was after, like, he had a, a, a pretty decent, like, stretch in the first quarter of getting to the rim on cuts. Um, so I, you know, the roller coaster of where his head is at during the game, I think is, is, is really kind of frustrating to watch. Uh, but is, I guess is understandable. I mean, he's only 19 years old and, you know, and he's got a pretty big rope for a reason. Uh, but, but again, like, it's just so frustrating when like in a game where, and in that Phoenix game where he's just going off and really in all of the games in that first five, six game stretch after the all-star break, you know, everything was downhill, downhill, downhill. And that was when he was finding his success. And then the first game he has a bad game. Um, he's now just reverted back the next three, four games after that into just this settling mindset that, that, it, that has really hurt the team overall. I think, the it it changes from game to game but when edwards is at his best he's using the threat of his drive to get open jump shots whereas you know he'll have that one night and then the next night he wants to use the threat of his jump shot to get to get drives which means he wants to shoot five jump shots to start a game he wants to hit you know a couple threes and then guys start coming out a bit further on him and then he can drive but I just think you have to just drive early, often, and as yeah, much I as possible. Yeah, I think first. Yeah, and then, and then when teams start backing off to to try and stop you from barreling through them to the rim, then you can start to hit those threes. And and exactly. he hits, and he like he's such a confident player and a streaky guy. Like if he hits three layups, I feel so much more confident than he's going to hit that three that he takes next. But when he takes threes out of rhythm, there's just they just do not go in. Like because the issue is that when he takes a three or takes like a couple threes and they don't go in, he has this mindset, which I guess I like that you know the Dion Waiters mindset of I'd rather shoot O of twelve than O of five because if I shot O of five, that means that I just stopped shooting. Yeah. Like I like <laughs> that he has that mindset at 19 years old, but at the same time, like you got to recognize if something's not working for you and, and get, and find something that does work. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't, I obviously don't know what the in-game dialogue is with the Timberwolves coaching staff with him, whether it's him just being defiant or, um, or the coaching staff just not effectively communicating it to him. Um, there, there just is, is not enough in-game adjustments with the way Anthony Edwards plays on either end of the floor. Um, 
And, and that's something I think that needs to change over the next, you know, 25 games or whatever it is, however, however many we have left. Yeah. Uh, let's put a pin in, in Ant because I think that you, you summed that very well there at the end. And I want to pivot back to the power forward position. Obviously, that was, like Rosas had said it before the trade deadline that they're really aggressively targeting, targeting a power forward. And then he spoke about it afterwards with the Jaden McDaniels stuff. Uh, I guess my question is, let's start with McDaniels. Is is McDaniels the power forward position? Is he the guy that you, that you see being that player in the future? No, I I, I think McDaniel. I think McDaniel's best position is at the three. He's played the three his entire life, um, and, and ideally too. Like if you if Jaden, Mc, I mean Jaden McDaniel's is certainly mobile enough on offense and on defense to play the three. And if you have the ability to play a guy down instead of playing a guy up, I think that you really need to do that because I think you have a much bigger advantage if you can play a guy down versus playing a guy up. Um, because well, you'd rather the mismatch be you'd rather you have the mismatch in height than the other team. Like you want Jaden McDaniels to have a guy six foot five guarding him rather than Jaden McDaniels guarding, you know, a guy who's six foot eleven and two hundred and forty pounds. Like. Yeah, you exactly. Cre- you create the ma- the mismatch if you play him as a three. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and just think too, like you, the fact that Jaden McDaniel's is six ten, and you could play him at the three alongside you know two other guys that are six ten plus. Uh, I think that that would be great. Uh, and then you have Ant at six five, two forty or two thirty five, and then D'Lo at six four, six five. Um, I mean just having pure height and length, I think can help mitigate some of the defensive, um, you know, ineptitude in the, in the Timberwolves backcourt, uh, especially if they get rid of playing a drop scheme, because I think playing a drop scheme just is inviting people into the paint and almost like decentivizes uh, D'Lo or Ant or Malik from being able to stop guys off the dribble. Um, and so, I think the future of the power forward position for the Wolves really needs to be a big bodied four that can defend in space. I care much more about somebody being able to defend in space, like how Jared Vanderbilt can, but somebody that's like six foot nine, 240, or like 6'10, 250, or 40, or something like that. Um, Larry, I mean, Larry, you think about what Larry Nance can do defensively in terms of the way that he can switch off of pick and rolls, that he can he can blitz and trap, and he's got a massive wingspan and, and really good timing and, and hands when he's defending on the perimeter um, th- that allows, you know, the backside to, to correctly rotate and scramble before, um, you know, a, a guard can make a skip pass out of that double or something like that. Um, you know, I think that type of skill set is going to be really, really valuable, and it'll help the Timberwolves create more turnovers on defense that'll lead out into to easy points on the other end. Um, I think they've got to prioritize that at the four rather than just like a guy you can shoot. And like you said before, Rosas kind of admitted defeat in that area where he, he did admit that playing essentially small forwards at the power forward spot is just not something that's going to work anymore, which it feels like, you know, we got 30, 40 games of evidence worth of that at least now that, just size, like you, it's like you've been stating, size matters, man. Like, and it maybe it didn't for a couple of years there when Houston were doing their thing, and like when when Golden State were doing their thing. But even then, like you but can't, like PJ, you can't. P- 
PJ could yeah, defend guys way bigger than him. Because exactly, he's and so you can't strong. you can't try and emulate Golden State or or Houston when it's PJ Tucker or Draymond Green is the guy that you're trying to emulate because they're two elite defenders. Draymond Green probably one of the best defenders of the last ten years. Like, yeah, they're undersized, but they're not guys who they're not Josh Okogie. Like Josh Okogie is a great defender, but he's a great defender when you put him in positions to succeed, which is the as a point of attack defender. You can't just play, you know. I think Jaden McDaniels honestly is the same thing. I honestly think I'd rather McDaniels as a point of attack guy than as a help defender. And that's not because he's not good as a help defender. He's got those long arms and he can and he can block guys. But I just I like I like at least having him as a three because then he he can do both. He's going to be spotted up in the corner defending, you know, shooters at times where he can come and help off those shooters and impact shots at the rim. But then he's going to also have times where he can at least give you some point of attack on pick and roll defense rather than just you know Malik Beasley or D'Angelo Russell Anthony Edwards being the guy who defends point of attack for 48 minutes a game or for 40 minutes a game like I just think that that McDaniels as much as you know we both love him and I think he can definitely play the four but I just think if you can get an ideal power forward archetype next to him and let him be on the wing you just have so much more versatility in terms of defensive, you know, coverages. Yeah, and that's a big reason why I almost don't think it's a foregone conclusion that if the Timberwolves were to get the number one pick, that they would keep that pick. If they, I, they, I don't even think it's a foregone conclusion that they take Evan Mobley over Tade Cunningham. Well, that that's they, my point. That's my point. My my whole point is that I think if the Timberwolves got the number one pick, I think they would almost be smarter to trade that pick and move back to two or um, or shop that pick around um, because I think that, you know, you always say, you know, don't draft for fit. You draft for best player available. But I mean, there's a very real chance that Evan Mobley could end up being a better player than Cade Cunningham. And, and the reason I say that is because, I mean, we've seen in this NCAA tournament in the last month of the year for USC, I mean, Evan Mobley's been incredible defending both the rim and in space. I mean, he's he can switch onto guards and, you know, doesn't let guys turn the corner on him. And, and I think having a guy like that, um, yeah, he's he's too skinny, but I mean, he's seven feet or seven one, and he's got like a seven five wingspan. Um, so having just like another guy that can just swarm the paint. Uh, and swarm ball handlers. Um, I, I think and move his feet, man. He moves his exactly. feet so yeah. well for a bit. Like I don't, I don't think there's a player in the league, or at least one that's realistically attainable, that makes more sense at the four than Evan Mobley. Could you imagine a de- a lineup that that was like D'Angelo Russell, Josh Okogie, Jaden McDaniels, Evan Mobley, and Cat? <laughs> just like how chaotic and fun that lineup oh, would be. They they might they could just hold each other's <laughs> hand. They could just hold each other's <laughs> hands and just stretch across the whole court. It, it's like the, the it's like the age old Reddit question of like, <laughs> is it legal for the Warriors for like the four, other four guys in the court to like form a circle around Steph Curry <laughs> and link arms so he can shoot out of a circle? Um, it, it, it's like whole, the Reddit question that is it illegal to have a gun? Like, would it be would who would win if someone had a gun to defend? They can't shoot the player because that's a foul. They can just shoot the ball. Like that's Jaden McDaniels and Evan Mobley. They're pretty much holding a handgun on defense. Uh, man, yeah, but no, I I think we're in agreement though that I think that the power forward position needs to be bigger than what we have perceived it to be. 
and it needs to be a defensive-minded position because I think one, you know, Jaden McDaniels, yes, he he's a very, very good uh, defender, but but I think he's, he, I mean, he's also got an immense offensive potential. Like people want to, people say the comp is Jonathan Isaac. I say aim higher than Jonathan Isaac. And the reason he's already I, a better shooter than Isaac. The reason why I shooter. say that is because Jonathan Isaac does not have off-the-dribble shot creation ability. And Jaden McDaniels has already shown flashes of that, and he's like 20 years old. Like, yeah, it, I, it's his offensive, like his defensive ceiling may not be as high because I mean Isaac just has like a better build than he does. But just in terms of offense, like McDan, like you should not be thinking that McDaniels is like a net negative on offense because he's a very solid shooter already, and his cutting has grown immensely over the last you know, month, especially when, since Cat has returned from, from COVID and from, from his wrist injury. Uh, I think that's what's keeping so. him in the starting lineup lately. Oh, like yeah. they, they always knew he could defend and that he would probably help defensively in that starting lineup. But the fact that he's become such a better cutter and just such a smart cutter to the, to the, like he cuts to the right places that anyone can cut, you know, through the middle or cut here and cut there. But knowing when to cut and where to cut is really what separates, you know, every, every player in the NBA. Just every player can move without the ball with no purpose. Yeah, another uh, thing that I another thing that I, I think he does really, really well is like if the ball is on like the right wing and he's in the left slot, he cuts really hard to the rim and it takes the corner, the op, the weak side corner defender away and leaves like Malik Beasley or Wancho or whoever's in the corner just wide open for three. And he knows. He knows he, that he's doing that. He's not doing it because exactly. he wants the ball. He's doing it to clear space and to get the weak side open. And now with Malik back, I mean, there's going to be more instances where he's available, you know, in open in the paint to receive a pass and go up and dunk. Uh, so that's something that, that I think will be good to monitor. But, but yeah, I, I think the, the four position, you know, we're in agreement. Is there anyone that you think they could realistically get outside of, I guess, Mobley? Like, is there anyone that, that fits that archetype? Because as much as we talk about how much they need it, it is quite a rare kind of archetype around the league to just be able to go and acquire. Like, is there anyone, obviously, except maybe Nance, that, that stands out that even, you know, a guy, uh, a lower kind of caliber of player but fits that same archetype that maybe they could they could sign during the free agency like is there anyone that springs to mind i mean i don't know about about free agents um just because i i think that you know a lot of those guys will probably you know get paid a lot of money to go play you know to go play for better teams but you know i i wouldn't hate them like taking a look at at bringing someone like James Johnson back just to give minutes off the bench because I, I mean, he, he's been awful this year, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, I'd like him better than, better than Wancho, especially defensively. Um, I, I think that, that Kelly Olenek is a guy that they could think about. Um, you know, Kelly Olenek obviously isn't, you know, he's not a great defender, but um, you know, he's a really, really solid rebounder and he played in Miami and he started and played a lot of big minutes in Miami. And you can't do that if you don't know what you're doing um, on the defensive end of the floor. And then, you know, I, I know we've talked about guys like Jamichael Green before is another one. Um, Reggie and Bullock. He seemed, he seems more available probably than ever Jamichael Green, just because, you know, now Denver have Aaron Gordon, MPJ is playing the, 
for pretty much exclusively now as well. So that that is, I think that's a good name, Jermichael Green. Yeah, Jermichael Green's one, and then um, and then I think another one that would be really interesting too would be um, would be Bobby Portis. So I think Bobby Portis has a player option next year, but uh, but he's been really good in Milwaukee, and I don't know if he'll take that. I mean, he could he could very well get more money than that. Um, and he's been, you know, he's been a, a really solid defender, um, this year for, for Milwaukee too. Um, but I mean, other than that in free agency, it's pretty, it's pretty slim pickings. Um, so I, but I mean, through, through trademark, through the trade market, um, you know, I think Nance really could be that guy. Like if Cleveland is not very good again next year, I, I think that, I think that he's a name that, that could very, very well get traded, um. You know, I, I could also see the Timberwolves like shopping that number three pick, you know, trading like number three. Let's say they get number three, which would I mean, I, I, I would almost be I, I know Jalen Suggs is like awesome and it'd be great to have Jalen Suggs here or whoever, whoever you, you like at number three. But I'd almost think about trading number three and try and get like. Almost try and get like Larry Nance and Garland or Larry Nance and like. Chetty Osman or, or something like that. Um, Isaac Couture. Yeah, just to like balance out, just to like balance out the roster, man. Like the, the Tim, that that's the other huge problem I think with the Wolves roster is it's just so so unbalanced. And like you were saying earlier, with a bunch of small guards. So I think in terms of like a, a big way they can improve this in the off season would be trying to balance out the roster by getting bigger, more physical wings. Um, yeah. And if you they can't, just had, and if you just can't, built do, on, what they're just built on. Uh, yeah, sorry, go. No, I was just gonna say, and if you can't get like a bigger, more physical wing, you got to make sure that your your undersized undersized guards can either really defend or really shoot. And the Timberwolves, outside of Jalen Noel, Timberwolves like undersized guards can't really, and Malik Beasley who can also shoot it. Like outside of those two, like the the other guards on the Wolves team can't do that. Yeah, that's that's kind of exactly what I was going to say. Is they're just full of tweeners, but uh, not the good kind. Like, like the NBA has kind of leaned towards tweeners being much more acceptable than they were five, ten years ago. But like Minnesota are full of small guards who can't defend and can't play. You know, the the one position and the two position. They're just full of point guard sized shooting guards, and they're full of small forward sized power forwards who don't defend the rim or defend in space or hit the three consistently. Like there's too many, there's too many Jake Lehman's and Jarrett Culver's and, you know, even Malik Beasley's like who, who when you have too many of them, even if Malik Beasley is, you know, a positive player offensively, when the team is stacked with players of that size and who have the same weaknesses, it just compounds and compounds. Like you can deal with one Malik Beasley, but you can't deal with a Malik Beasley and a Jalen Noel, and a Jarrett Culver, and a D'Angelo Russell, like, and you can't deal with a Wancho, and a Layman, and uh, even a McDaniels, like, you know, you can have one of, if you have too many of them, even the good ones start to be, you know, degraded a little bit when you just watch watch the, the team in an aggregate, like, it's, there's a lot to, there's a lot to do with this team to, to figure it out, but it, uh, like you said at the top of the show, I think it starts with just, like, cutting the fat off the edges, and that's the Laymans and the Culvers, and then you just kind of, you know, springboard from there. I, I think that sometimes Rosas wants to make the home run move every time, and, and sometimes you just need to hit a, hit a single, you know, and, and I was pretty disappointed that they didn't hit a single at the trade deadline. 
Yeah, considering that when he has decided to play on the margins, they've been so good with it. Right. Um, with like Nas and Noel and um, I mean, Vanderbilt was a good value pickup for them. Um, Malik Beasley, obviously. Um, so, I mean, even Lehman, like I thought that was a good acquisition um, at the cost that they got him at. Like Jake Lehman is making less than Wancho and has arguably been more impactful than Wancho has for the majority of the season. Definitely. Um, so that that's, I mean, yeah, we're, we're in agreement there too. <laughs> um, let's take a little break and then we'll talk about, uh, I guess, uh, what few, what a few players need to, to do to prove themselves to the front office uh, in the last 25 or so games of this season. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, we're back. Uh, I touched on just then. I think that this season is obviously over. Uh, they're obviously looking more forward to draft night, I think, than, than actually winning games. But there's still plenty of players on this roster that need to prove something or show something to, to either get themselves an NBA contract with the Wolves or with another team or, you know, just, just find themselves in the NBA still next season. So I guess my question is to you, who do you think has the most to prove to the front office, to other front offices uh, for the rest of this season? So I, I think the, the I think the guy atop that list for me is Malik Beasley. Um, Malik Beasley needs to show that his attitude is in order. Like I, I went to you know four or five Timberwolves games, um, you know in December and January when I was home over winter break. And his body language when he doesn't get the ball on offense is terrible. Like, that's not something that you can see very well on TV. But especially, like, when the shot, miss, like when the shot misses, I know that the TV camera doesn't always do it, you know, do it justice showing other players' reactions. But, like, he's constantly calling for the ball and does that thing where, you know, he kind of just, like, lets his shoulders go and his head go when – you know, he sees a teammate take a shot, you know, that may not be the best shot or when they could have passed it to him and they didn't. Um, like, he needs to prove that he can be a guy who can stick on a, on a somewhat decent team and help take this team from, like, a real a, just a dog shit team to a team that can, can compete for a playoff spot. And I think the Timberwolves are betting that he can and not trading him for John Collins. Um, Definitely. So I think Malik Beasley is atop that list for me. And then... I'm, I promise I'm not trying to be corny, but like D'Angelo Russell's right behind him. Like I, I personally love D'Angelo Russell. Um, I, I, I've been really pleased with what I've seen, um, you know, from him in Golden State and in Brooklyn, especially off the ball. And uh, there's no, and there's no rhyme or reason why he can't be just as successful, if not more successful than that, playing in Chris Finch's offense. Um, because he's, he's going to be used in a variety of ways. Like I know Timberwolves fans are pissed because they think he's a ball hog and they think that, you know, he just jacks up shots and doesn't give a shit about any of the guys he's playing with. 
And let me tell you something. If you were D'Angelo Russell playing with Ricky Rubio, Anthony Edwards, who's only been in the league for two weeks, Wancho or Jake Lehman or Jared Vanderbilt and Nas Reed, those are the guys that you're playing with. Would you trust the other guys around you? When and you've Malik been an all star and you know that you can get and you took a night. team to the playoffs by yourself, fuck no, I would not trust them. Like, there's no way I, I would trust any other guys that I was playing with. And so, you know, especially in the fourth quarters of games two, where like he dominated the ball, guess what? D'Angelo Russell has consistently been one of the best clutch time players in the NBA for his entire career. Even dating back to Ohio State, he hit big shot after big shot after big shot. And he's an extremely versatile guard on the offensive side. And, you know, he's an incredibly gifted passer, has tremendous vision, and is a really dynamic shooter off the ball or with the ball in his hands. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what he can do in a more spaced out offense because we haven't really seen him play in a spaced out offense just because he's played so few games with Cat and Malik Beasley at the same time. Um, so I think I think D'Angelo Russell has a really, really great opportunity to, you know, prove to the front office and to Timberwolves fans that he can be a guy who can really move the needle for the Wolves. And, you know, everybody wants to look at his net rating over the course of his career. And I respect that. You know, I'm I'm not going to come back here and and say you're wrong or say you know, stop bringing net rating into this. But I also think that context matters. Like, like D'Angelo Russell has never played with one even remote star in the NBA. He played with uh, injured and washed Draymond Green. He played with Steph Curry for like seven or eight games last year. And other than that, he he hasn't played with any stars. I mean, he played with an over-the-hill Kobe um, in Brooklyn. Way over-the-hill. Yeah, like he didn't play with, he didn't play with anybody in Brooklyn and took that team to the playoffs by himself, pretty much. Um, so, I, you know, the fact that he has a chance to play with a legitimate superstar in Cat and a, a, a somewhat rising star in Anthony Edwards, um, you know, it's kind of put up or shut up time for, for, for D'Lo. And I think he's going to rise to the occasion. And I'm excited for that. They're, they are the two names that I had written down for that question as well, because they're the two guys I think who... And and Ant, I think, in this conversation too, but it's a little bit early to, to be asking Anthony Edwards to, to prove himself. But they're the two guys that have question marks surrounding them, whether they can fit within an offense that has four guys probably that, that want to play at a 25% usage rate. And it, it, it's I think it's imperative for Malik especially to prove to teams that he can function as a spot-up shooter and virtually just a spot-up shooter it's if he can't do that then he isn't gonna ever have enough value to to kind of justify the the faith that that the Timbles front office has put in him and then D'Angelo Russell's in the exact same boat except he needs to be able to prove that he can run an NBA offense with a better player next to him and and win games like you said he has won games when he's been the best player and we know that he can when he's healthy and when he's in a system that's not ryan saunders offensive system with with bench players around him that he can impact winning especially on the offensive end but i think he needs to prove that he can do that with malik beasley next to him who he needs to still get shots he can do that with Carl anthony towns next to him who he needs to cede his own shots to and he can do that with anthony edwards next to him 
who's going to steal shots from him. And and D'Lo needs to not only be, uh, I guess, happy that, that these guys are going to take his shots from him, he needs to facilitate those guys doing that for him. And, yeah, and if he can point. prove that, I think he's standing around the lead, which right now I think he's at an all-time low, will will kind of skyrocket back to what it was after that Brooklyn season. If if he can be the second best player on a team that wins 40 games next season or 45 games, you know, which right now obviously seems like just an unthinkable leap to make. But, you know, we all know the excuses, the injuries, the COVID, the the trades, you know, all the, the players not playing. Like, it's we know why this Timberwolves team is worse than they should be. That doesn't mean that they definitely would have made the playoffs or the 10th seed or anything like that this season, but it's an absolute fact that they are worse than they should be because of outside influences, mainly do you, injuries. Do you think that D'Lo is a selfish player? No, I don't. I think D'Lo is... I. I think D'Lo is a player who when he decides that he needs to do everything because the the infrastructure around him isn't good enough, I think that makes him worse. I agree. Whereas, whereas even... I think that's true for, for many players, but I think, you know, you kind of see a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, you, last night's game against the Rockets, when he decided, I'm just going to do everything, he he's really good. I think Towns is kind of the opposite to, to D'Lo, where he, sometimes he he doesn't take over like he should, where I think when D'Lo decides that he needs to be the guy who scores 40, it makes him worse. But when he think, when he knows that his at team least can in the, win... At least in the context of being surrounded by a bunch of guys who don't right. space the floor and make things harder for him. Right. I mean, when well, he, he decided to be the guy to like go score 40 in Brooklyn, like it was yeah. a spectacle. But that's because in Brooklyn, he trusted that if he didn't score 40, he can start moving the ball and start doing other things and other guys can still help them win the game. I think when he has trust in his teammates and in the lineup around him, that he he thrives. And I think we saw that, you know, it seems like forever ago, but we saw that in the first two games. Like, Carl Towns played really well in both of those games, and D'Angelo Russell played really well as well, and they won both games. And when the time to take over, I'm thinking back to that Utah game, when, when the time to take over came, D'Angelo Russell was the best player in the fourth quarter in both of those games. Not Carl Anthony Towns, but for the whole game he deferred. Well, Cat was in the in the Detroit game. Cat, they really, Cat took. That Actually, game. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, that uh, when Cat went off with the wrist injury for the Utah four game, five, that four was five minutes. As hell. Yeah, and that's because that wasn't just because Cat wasn't out there. It's because Malik Beasley was there. It's because he hadn't had time to probably play with these dudes and lose trust in in them. And he like when he like, yeah, I just think when he trusts his teammates and when he believes that that taking over is an option and not a must, then he's just an exponentially better player. Yeah, I I think that, you know, it's it's an extremely fair and accurate assessment to say that his offensive game is predicated a lot on trust Um, and comfortability too. And I think D'Angelo Russell, you know, I think it was pretty evident that D'Angelo Russell didn't really vibe with Ryan Saunders, um, at least, you know, Last year, I think they've really vibed, but I think this year they just really didn't at all. Um, and and I and I think D'Angelo Russell is really going to like Chris Finch because Chris Finch is the type of guy that's like, you know what? I know what you can do, and you should go out, and I'm going to let you go out and do it. But if you're not doing it, I'm going to hold you accountable, and I'm going to you know say you know we got to come up with a different solution here. Um, and, and I think 
you know, I mean, with D'Lo, I think a lot about Fred Van Vliet. And, and Fred Van Vliet took, a, you know, at least this year, you know, Fred Van Vliet is used in a variety of ways. He's used as a screener. He's used in pick and roll. He's used, um, you know, flying off screens and having set shooting plays for him. Um, and I think D'Lo is going to be used in all of those ways. Like, I, if, if I were you uh, wanting to know, like, how is D'Lo going to fit in all this, I'd go watch Fred Van Vliet highlights from earlier this season or Norman Powell highlights from earlier this season. Or Jamal, or Jamal Murray highlights from when Chris Finch was in Denver. Like he's, Which was he's coached, he's coached really good guards who are kind of facsimiles to to D'Angelo Russell in terms of volume scoring guards who can also pass the ball, but passing is probably not their their number one form of of generating offense. But but he every team he's been to that has a player like that they've seen to figure out a really good balance between facilitating and scoring. And that's, that's the key to me for, for D'Angelo Russell is just let him off the loo, off the leash, let him shoot, you know, those pull up mid range shots. Let it, he's one of the best pull up three point shooters in the league. He's shooting 42% on fourth pull up threes a game. There's, there's no one in the league. Last time I checked, it was CJ McCollum was above him, but I think that's, he's dropped off now that, now that he's back from injury, but he's the only player in the league, shooting over four pull-up threes a game and hitting at least 42% of them. Like, let him do that, but then, yeah, pull the reins in when, when things get a little bit out of control and, and really hammer home that, that he needs to to cooperate with, with all those high-usage guys for this to work. And that doesn't mean that he has to take a back seat. I just think that it means that he needs to to entwine the passing and the and the playing off the ball with that on ball scoring dominance that that really is the the basis of his of his offensive game. So I'm I'm with you. I'm excited to see D'Angelo Russell, and I think when I say he has a lot to prove, I think that he has the best chance of anyone to to prove those things that he needs to do to the to the outside world and to Finch himself. Yeah, I mean this year D'Angelo Russell is averaging. He's averaging 19, 19.3 points per game on 55% or 54% true shooting. Surrounded by a bunch of guys that are misfits and, you know, don't space the floor or make his life easier whatsoever. And if you look at like box plus minus, he's a positive in box plus minus, which I think is a much better indication of um, how a player does when he's simply on the floor versus when he's off, because I think net ratings have a lot a lot to do with who you're on the floor with um and box plus minus does a better job of like evaluating that based on the quality of the opponents as well um and and like i I just don't think that there's a way for d'angelo russell to be worse or and not significantly better than he has been because the shot that his shot the shot the quality of shots that he's going to get is going to be so much higher um, with guys like Cat um, and and Malik back, um, and, and even with Ant like driving to the floor too. Like I, I mean, I think that's going to be that's just going to be exciting. Like D'Angelo Russell's, I mean, he's been terrible on defense. Like if you look at like Raptor, I'm pretty sure his defensive like defensive plus minus on using Raptor is like minus four. He's very negative in that. And in like advanced metrics don't really like him. Um, 
but also like this year, like context matters so much with that. Like it, it it's just, I don't know. I, I'm, I don't have a whole lot of energy left to just like sit out here defending D'Angelo Russell to people that just like don't really want to like pay attention to like where he, where he is, who he's played with, what he's done. Um, but there are ways to mitigate D'Angelo Russell's weaknesses and there's a hell of a lot more ways to really, really utilize his strengths and really help your offense more than he can hurt you on the defensive end. Um, I just thought there was, I mean, like with Saunders, there's just, first of all, there's no creativity on either end of the floor to try and help him out. But two, just like the personnel was terrible. And now I think you have much more creativity, willingness to adjust. And obviously the personnel you have available to you is a lot better. Um, So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him. I'm really excited. Um, I hope he's healthy and and that, you know, there's not going to be like a huge ramp up period for him and that he'll just kind of like Malik, be somewhat ready to be full go, um, you know, and being able to, you know, being able to, to play 20, 27 ish minutes a game when he comes back, um, just so we can kind of start to get a, a better sample size. But, um, you know, the, it's kind of balancing like the duality of, all right, I want the Timberwolves to like show some signs of life here and actually show some some legitimate signs of, of building something that can actually win next year versus being able to lose enough games so that you maximize <laughs> your odds of, of having a top three pick next year. But well, I think, just... the, I think that the the silver lining there is I, I, I think they might lose every game until Russell comes back, or at least the next three or four. And I think they're getting dangerously close to the... To, being able to go 500 pretty much for the rest of the season and still be one of the three worst teams in the league. Orlando are coming hard, especially after the trade deadline. Detroit, uh, they suck. And Houston, they're pretty much the three teams that are challenging Minnesota. They just have to be not better than all three of those teams, and I think that they will maximize their chances to at least keep one of those picks. And I've said it to you before. I've said it to you know anyone who's asked me what, the best course of action for the future is and I still think that the the best course of action is just getting lucky in the draft and uh, in the draft lottery sorry and that that could be like you said earlier trading trading the pitch and bringing in some actual veteran help that's like impactful to winning on the court or it's just like getting Kate Cunningham or Evan Mobley or Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green or any of the, those dudes, like, this team just needs more talent and there is no way they can get more talent than getting it in the draft or, or through draft night trades. So, but And again, the, the one thing that I just want to add about the draft too is, like, yeah, it's, it's great to say, like, the Timberwolves would, you know, get another guy that they can bring in. But, I mean, you got to start thinking about, like, you got to think more about Cat and D'Lo and that timeline because those guys are five six seven years ahead of whoever you're drafting is going to be like I think someone like Evan Mobley I mean guys that are really good on defense tend to translate faster I think just because you know like defensive awareness and like knowing where you're supposed to be on that end of the floor I think is easier just because getting in a stance and guarding somebody is the same thing and reading an offense is the same thing um 
So like a guy like Mobley might work better, but I mean, if you're drafting a guy like Jalen Suggs or Cunningham or, um, you know, maybe Cade a little less or like Jalen Green though, like you're in the same boat as Ant. We're like, that guy's going to need two, three years before he can really, really, really start impacting the game at a high level. And that's another reason why I think the Timberwolves should explore every trade option they can. um, I think the the line of thinking though is that if you get one of those guys, you at least, at best, they translate really well straight away. And at worst, you have a pretty good safety net for if and when Carlton Towns does ask out. And obviously, ideally, ideally, you want these guys to just come in straight away, impact winning, help the team make the playoffs and keep Cat. But, you know, history suggests that team, that players who have played that long for one team and not really been a winning basketball team tend to, to ask out in free agency. And I still firmly believe that that's the direction this team is heading with Cat, unless they, you know, turn this ship around pretty quick. But I think the my line of thinking, at least with Cade or with Jalen Green or Suggs, is that at least when that time comes, you have Jalen Green and Anthony Edwards or Cade Cunningham and Anthony Edwards and still probably D'Lo because he's not really you know the same level of cat where he can just ask out and you have to you know any team in the league will probably serve up an offer for him i just think that with the draft you not only do you get an, a player who you hope can be impactful straight away and at the top of this class it really looks like there is a few guys that, that have the chance to do that but you also get a really nice safety net who could you know potentially be at cat's level in five years yeah i mean i i'm just it's so frustrating to think like about safety nets and just kicking the can down the road again. <laughs> oh, I but I know. But I mean it's a real thing. I, I think at the very least it's it's similar to like having the number one pick this last year. Like people were like, oh I don't want to have the number one pick this year. It's like, okay, you either have a premium asset or you don't. What would you rather have? And I bet all like, I bet every team that didn't offer up enough for the first pick or the second pick or the third pick because they thought this was a weak class is kicking themselves at the moment especially teams who could have probably made an offer and, and, and landed the mellow ball and given Minnesota a, a, you know, a decent veteran player like because they were definitely shopping that pick. And I think there's a lot of teams that thought this draft class would be a lot weaker than it's turning out to be. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Like it's, it's been very up and down in terms of terms of hits and misses. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I definitely think that the, they should they should explore all their options if if they end up getting a pick. But you know, I it'll be interesting. I, I'm not very confident that they'll even be one of the three worst teams in the NBA. Um, just because I think they might almost have too much talent when you compare to teams like Cleveland and the Rockets and Detroit, OKC, Orlando. Detroit, Orlando that are going to be really aggressive in, in tanking. So. At what stage do you think? At what stage do you think, or at all, Minnesota start to play the tanking game late in the season? Like, do they? Do you think they shut down Anthony Towns with ten games left for you know uh, his wrist injury or something that's not really there? That is that that is something I could see. Like, like I'm I currently have no idea whether or not cat's wrist is not healing because it's constantly being used or it's not healing because it can't get any better until he has surgery you know what i mean so like yeah if 
it could heal properly from him just like not using it. Um, you know, I don't think they'll shut him down and they'll just let him have his three, four months off, whatever it is, um, in, in the summer. But if, if it needs to be surgically repaired to get better, I, I think the Timberwolves are probably going to shut him down at some point to try and kind of maximize the odds a little bit. Um, just because at a certain level, like if the cutoff is between like one or two games, like if, if, if one or two games is a difference between you having like maximized lotto odds and not, I think you should tank. But like yeah. if you have everybody playing and everybody's healthy and whatnot, and you're like seven or six or seven games better than, you know, teams at the bottom, then I think there's value in that. It's just kind of being in that danger zone of like, three or four games out or like, you know, one to four games out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not really showing signs of growth. You're just kind of like lucking into winning games. that doesn't really have a whole lot of value. I think uh, that it, it it's what decides whether this, you know, that's the route they're going to take the path. They're going to take the other teams, it, it, I think. Yeah. And also I think it's how well they play in those first say 10 games with, with Beasley towns and, and Russell, like, if they win six or seven of those games and all of a sudden they actually look like they might start to to lay down a foundation of a team that can actually win, I think they'll just they'll just punt lottery odds if it if it means that they can can instill a winning a winning ish culture in the last twenty games. But if they come out in their first ten games and they win one, they get one of nine, even with those guys playing and, and you know, for a variety of different reasons, Rust on Russell, you know, for whatever the reasons are they, they do play poorly in those 10 games, I think they'll just say, like, look, look, let's just do what we can to maximize our lottery odds because this isn't helping. Like, we believe this core can win, but they're not winning right now. Let's just give ourselves the best shots of bringing a premium asset in the the summer. But it's, I think it's a very interesting conversation, the one surrounding winning culture versus just straight up tanking and trying to get a lottery pick because I'm on the fence from day to day. I I can flip five times in a day. Yeah. So the Timberwolves have 26 games left and they play in terms of playoff teams that they have left to play. They play one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 of those 26 games. (laughs) are against playoff teams. Um, and, you know, in those other eight games that they play, they play Detroit once, they play Sacramento three times, they play, um, you know, New Orleans once. Um, so it's not like, and they only play Detroit and Orlando once each. So it's like only two of those games, I think, will be like layup wins yeah. out of 26 games. So like... You know, I, I sit here and say, like, I, I don't think the Timberwolves will, like, their tanking will be, like, as, you know, good because they'll have too much talent. But at the same time, it's like, you're playing all these playoff teams, man. And, like, all these They might just teams, lose regardless. Yeah, because all these playoff teams are just kind of done dicking around. Like, I mean, you look at, like, the Clippers or the Heat. They play the Heat twice. They play, um, they play the Clippers once. They play Dallas another time. They play Memphis twice. Um and these are teams Play that are, that are like these are teams, teams that are looking that at and then looking at the Lakers without LeBron and AD and thinking we can be a fourth seed here. 
Like they're not. It's not going to be the standard end of season kind of, you know, rest a few players for for playoff teams because they're kind of set in their seeds, especially in the West. Because like the Lakers are going to slide, man, and how far they're going to slide is depending on how hard the the teams around them, you know, push them down that 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 stand those standings. So it's even like I think you're kind of alluding to is even if they're playing well, they might just lose anyway. Yeah, and it and that's why I just think like why tanking I think is is you know I in kind of looking at the schedule is like <laughs> change my stance a little bit, but you know I think that they're going to try and play as competitively as they possibly can, um, and just to try and get a sample size of what the team might look like. Um, but I do think that there will come a point in time when like let's say, I mean shit. It, so like let's say April twenty first. So after April 21st, they've played do they do they, it's a it's the end of a back-to-back in Sacramento. So like their stretch of games in between now and then is at Brooklyn versus the Knicks, at Memphis, at Philly, versus Sacramento, at Indiana, at Boston, versus Chicago, versus Brooklyn, versus <laughs> Milwaukee, versus Miami, at Clippers, at Kings, at Kings. Like there's a very real chance that the Timberwolves do not win any of those games. It, let's say they win. Let's say they win one out of the three Clippers games or one out of the three Kings games because those are, those are really like the only teams that I think the Timberwolves will have any chance of winning. So if that's like what is that? Let's call that like twelve game or f- let's call it fourteen games. I'm too lazy to do the math right now. If they win two out of the next fourteen games, they're two and twelve. They're 13 and 47 with what is that 14 games left yeah uh, like they'll still be in the bottom yeah. three if they do that yeah and then, and then, and then and, after and, that and then after that you still have to play utah twice golden state memphis miami done and then your last three games are denver boston dallas all at home and i think i think that that could be I think the Timberwolves would probably start to think about tanking like aggressively after those two Kings games. And I think it's underrated how far behind they actually still are. Like even the Rockets who are terrible have won two more games and lost three less games. Like it's, it's not like they're already gaining on these, like these teams need to play really badly to even get below Minnesota. And that's without even accounting into, into that equation that, Minnesota are going to probably play pretty badly themselves because of that brutal stretch of games that you just pointed out. Yeah, and I mean, I just think it's going to put even more pressure on the team to be super aggressive this summer to try and go out and, and improve the team however they can. And you want to know what? The Timberwolves don't have the luxury of being able to just sit on all their picks because yeah. you can't sit on all your picks and improve your team and keep Carl Anthony Towns. Like that, yeah. all three of those things are not going to happen. And again, it goes back to why I thought they should have done the John Collins deal. Um, but also, like, you know, this is why the stipend rule is a thing. Because that way you're just not completely shit out of luck if Towns leaves and whatever. I mean, and the other thing, too, you have to think about is that if Towns leaves, you're getting at minimum like three or four first round picks. Oh, yeah. Yeah whether it be through swaps or actual first round picks or young talent and whatnot. That's why I think that the Timberwolves shouldn't give two shits about having to give up a first round pick to get like 
a really impactful rotation guy. You know what I'm saying? Like if if Cleveland wants an unprotected first round pick for Larry Nance, who effing cares? Go get Larry Nance. Yeah, you know and if I'm it all saying? goes to ha- and if it all goes to hell and Anthony Town still leaves, then you get you get compensated what you gave up and probably more. And that is the safety net. Like you can say that the safety net is like a top three pick this year. Sure, that's not really a safety net that like will actually save you in my opinion, because like one player I don't think is going to save you. Um, I, I think <laughs> whatever you get back from Carl Anthony Towns is a safety net. That's why yeah. when you have a superstar, all these teams go all out because you want to know what? It doesn't work. You just trade the superstar and then you're kind of right back where you started. You know, like comes a point in time where the Timberwolves got to put their nuts on the table. And it should have been have, this trade deadline. Yeah, it should have been because it's a lot harder to make aggressive moves in the offseason than it is at the trade deadline, in my opinion, because there's certain foregone conclusions of like teams selling guys that like they know they're not going to hold on to because they're pending free agents or, um, or they have asked out or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like, I'm glad they didn't overpay for someone like Aaron Gordon. And I, I think you're with me on that, but, but at the same time, like um, they just can't care about letting one first round pick be the difference between a guy who can, help win you five more games or four more games um, in a season and get you into the playoffs so you can actually start getting a taste of playoff basketball. Because the Timberwolves aren't just going to go from not being in the playoffs to being like a four or five seed. Like, that's just not going to happen. It's it's more of a linear progression from, like, where they are now to, like, an eight seed to then, like, a six seed or a four seed or, or whatever it ends up being. But, um, yeah, bottom line, this – summer is going to be insane i think yeah well i think the odds of rosas not making a move for two kind of period you know trade periods in a row are very slim like and he, he and he kind ahead. of vowed to be aggressive this upcoming yeah. summer i think yeah and, and he know he, he says it every time he talks about trades that trades are the the main way this team can get better so by not making a trade he he's pretty much saying we are we are what we are right now. We're not trying to get better, and obviously they're they're trying to get better. But I think the the risk he's taking is that him not seeing D'Lo, Beasley, Edwards, Towns together is that those they just aren't as good as what what maybe he thinks or maybe we think. Uh, and all of a sudden you're left wondering why you didn't get John Collins or Malik Beasley regresses back to more of a volume shooter than a high than a high efficiency shooter and yet again you're wondering why didn't we just give up this dude when we had the chance like it's it's a risky game that he's playing and when you're already a bad team and you're on a ticking time bomb with Carl Anthony Towns' contract it's just there's a lot of risks that that Rosas is taking right now and I think that it's he's up against the wall for all of them to pan out and and like you said I think there was a great point that the Carl Anthony Towns trade or eventual trade is the safety net but it's just i think that the a staple of the rosas kind of regimes thus far is that he he's making big gambles all the time like he's he nothing that he does is something that is just a safe move and you know if you've ever been on you know to a casino you know what a damn what, what happens when you gamble big and that's you win big or you fucking lose big. And, you know, for him, it'll be the Timberwolves make the playoffs or it'll be he doesn't have a job in two years. Like, And the, the Timberwolves have been 
keeping their money or losing money consistently for the last 10 years, 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't won big or lost big. Really. I mean, you could say the Jimmy thing was a win, a big win, but it was also a big loss because it was a one year rental. Yeah. They broke Um, even in the aggregate. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just tough to think about. Um, and it's tough to think about different deals and it's tough that so much of just how aggressive you can be hinges on the lottery. And that's, and I think ultimately that they didn't make any moves. They said they, they want to evaluate what they have. I think that was more of an, a pseudo admission that we're going to tank at some point. Yeah. I, like I or they said, understand I think, the schedule that I laid out. Like, I'm sure they do, but... Yeah. Like I said, I just think that the the only way for this team to get uh, substantially better is to have lottery luck. Not only the player, but the asset. Like, to get another tier one asset or, you know, tier one young asset, it's just impossible, absolutely impossible for this team to do unless it comes on draft night. And draft night, if they get Cade Cunningham, I'm putting my balls on the table, as you say, and, and telling you that this team's, the trajectory of this franchise changes immensely if they get Cade Cunningham. And not only because I think he's going to be a star player in the league, just because I think it breathes hope into Carl Anthony Towns, it gives you another asset. If you want to move, if someone offers you a really good deal for Anthony Edwards and you believe Cade Cunningham is better, you're more inclined to take that deal or, you know, you're more inclined to move Malik Beasley for a guy who can help, who plays a more of an, in a position of need or, or a lower usage role. I just think that the trickle down effect, the, the domino effect of getting Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley or even Jalen Suggs is monstrous for me. And that's why I just think that the draft lottery night is going to be one of the biggest, it's going to be the biggest night in, in Gerson Rosas's tenure so far and one of the biggest nights in the franchise's history that might sound like you know hyperbole but i I firmly believe that yeah it's def it's it's gonna be the most stressed i've been in a while (laughs) the fact (laughs) and the fact that all of that hinges on a 40 percent chance if they stay in the bottom three better hope the lottery's rigged that's all i'm gonna tell you because it's it turns my hair gray thinking about it, honestly. Like, I'm going to be a withered old man by draft lottery night. <laughs> if you if we make it that far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with the way, with I, the way this season's going. If I have to watch any more games like tonight, I will not even make it to draft lottery, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, as usual, you, you've been a star, Jack, and hopefully... This Wolves team can provide us, you and me, some some more joy than it has lately, and, and we'll get back on here soon and, and have a little bit more fun than I than I think we did today. <laughs> I'm not worried about us having fun. Like I'm worried about having fun watching the games. Um, yeah. it's, it's become a, it's starting to become a chore on yeah. some level. Yeah, uh, I definitely feel that, especially a double a back to back double header on my weekend. Uh, I don't think my girlfriend's overly happy with having to watch two Timberwolves <laughs> games. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, um, yeah, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, anytime, man. And um, everyone else, I'll see you guys next week, and, and thanks for tuning in.